So I'm secretly mad at Brian Davis, to be honest with you. Because Brian acted like when we started talking about how we were going to split this up that he would take the hard ones, right? Um, like last week. And then he rolled by all that stuff and did it really well. But this is actually, I, I really think he was pulling the wool over my eyes. Um, let, me, let me pray for us and we'll jump in on it. <clears throat> uh, Father, you are the good shepherd and you're the real shepherd of the sheep and you are uh, the true elder. And we're thankful for that. We're thankful that you love your church. We pray you would uh, encourage us and instruct us in our time together. And we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Um, so, 1 Timothy is, uh, again, we've been working on this a couple weeks. And if you're new here, just in 30 seconds or less, kind of go back over some of that stuff that uh, we have been saying week after week. Paul wrote this letter. Uh, to the church in Ephesus, and it's this help uh, to combat some false teachers. And uh, the first chapter was him talking about the false teachers and what the true gospel produces. And then in chapter 2 and 3, we said he's moved away from what the false teaching is and what the real gospel is to what that produces. As I swallow and choke on my cough drop. Sorry. Uh, what that produces in the life of his people Chapter 2 was this picture of what that produces in the gathered kind of worship, the gathering of the saints. And now he turns, and it shouldn't be a surprise, to this picture of what does the gospel really produce in its elders, in its teachers. And if you read 1 Timothy, you see a number of these uh, ways in which Paul talks about what false teachers are like. They're conceited. They're greedy. Uh, they're, they're contentious. They're divisive. They bring division in the church. And so he turns now at this part of chapter 3 and says, hey, look, this is what the gospel actually produces in the leadership. So I'm uh, uh, up front, I'm confident in my speaking ability. This is not false humility. I think this passage brings every elder at some level to his knees. Okay, So it's worth... Um, it's a good morning for us to do this. Let me read it, and then we're going to talk about it a little bit. It says this. This is 3, 1 through 7. It's listed there on your sheet. It says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Or, uh, to say it another way, he may fall into the same condemnation that the devil fell into. That's the sense of that text. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. I would much rather talk to you about football this morning. Anybody want to take me up on that? Really? Um, okay. Okay, 
the first thing that you see is uh, this. Uh, when you get into verse 1, what is he actually saying about what certain people want? Come on, I make you guys talk. What is Paul saying? Huh? The, the, the first verse. What do certain people actually desire? They desire to actually be an overseer. Okay? There is this sense where people internally desire this task. Now, listen to what it says. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, what is it that he desires? A noble task. Okay, what didn't it say? That the people are noble. Okay? What the text doesn't say is, is that anybody who desires to be an overseer, they desire status. They desire a noble position themselves. It's not about the person. It's about the task. That if someone desires to be an overseer, that language, bishop or elder, it's used pretty synonymously in the New Testament. I don't want to get caught up in some of which word it really is. I want us to dig and press into the point. That this thing is noble. The task is noble. Okay? The person himself is not said to be the noble thing. The task is. That there is this nobility to desire, to wanting to love and serve the church. Right? The largest picture of elders or pastors right, or bishops in the New Testament, the big picture of what that position is is the picture of the shepherd, right? That to desire to shepherd the church, to love and serve the church, that is noble. Um, <clears throat> okay. So, I'm going to, let, let's go a little in the direction. If we're going to, and I, I really wanted to do this by not going down the list of them, and I tried to think of ways we could talk about this without going down the list. And I just came back to saying, I think we have to go down the list. Okay? And we're going to be quick. And it is, be, it is uh, intentionally going to be dissatisfying for you this morning. Okay? Okay, that's what it is. Now, I've got on your sheet this thing. What the list does not talk about. Okay? What's strange is... Is because this is the inspired list that God decided to put down. It's interesting to say, what does this list not say? And what this list does not say is what you can not see. Like if you go down this list, it's pretty interesting. It talks about, it, it doesn't say what? It doesn't say that this person should have a good heart. It doesn't say that this person should be deeply spiritual internally. It doesn't say this person should have deep faith and a great love for God. And why not? Because you can't know. And you can't see a person's heart. Let me say that again to you. So look, I'm a I need to be I'm a teaching elder. Good night. Okay? So it can sound like I'm throwing stones at you, but this is this strange thing. God has said to teaching elders, they have to say things to people 
that they struggle with in their own world. So there it is. I'm going to not apologize for it. You can't see the heart of overseers. Okay. So why does he do this list this way? I, I think I was struck by how masterful, you know, newsflash, the Holy Spirit is masterful. Struck how masterful of a list this is in some ways. Because what does it talk about? It's outward evidence of what may be in the heart. This list is strangely external. Now, I think that is brilliant. Okay? I mean, he didn't ask me if I thought it was brilliant, but it's a pretty brilliant thing. So, um, I want to go down this list and talk about some of this stuff together a little bit. And, um, and let's see where we come. So, if he desires to kind of oversee, he desires this noble task, therefore, this overseer, and the first thing is this, he must be what? It must be above reproach. Okay, what can that not mean? <laughs> it certainly can't mean that the, that the guy is perfect. Okay? And it certainly, can't, you know, it certainly cannot mean that the elders are not sinners. Okay? And why do I press in on you this morning on that? Now, now I'm... Spend two seconds with what it's not, and then we're going to come back to what it is. Why do I press in on you on that? And I already have. And I, listen to the thing. I'm not an elder of this church, right? I work for the nomination. We're, we're coming around to that. Yes, we're coming back to that. But, but Brian Davis... Man, he's a sinner. <laughs> and so is, and preach it. And so is Darwin. Okay, so it can't mean that they're not sinless. Okay? Um, but this idea of being above reproach is this external sense of conduct that is actually known and seen by people, which is why there's an external affirmation process of people being. Confirmed as elders, right? There's an external process by which people can look at their life and see, as I look at these people who are elders in this church, y'all have said we recognize that there is an external place of their life that seems to be visibly walking in a certain manner. <sighs> okay. All right. So, again, I'm going to watch the time and I'm going to disappoint you beautifully and we're going to roll down this unless you just can't stand it and have to jump up and down and scream and yell and say something, which is good. But I, I want us to roll down this for a minute and come back to some questions at the end. Okay, above reproach, there's got to be this external sense in which his life looks like uh, a following after God and His ways and of following externally uh, what God says and His commands, an external experience of seeing Him attempt to love uh, okay, God and other people. Okay, the husband of one wife. So, what are we talking about here? 
So there are a number of different positions that people have talked about with uh, what Paul meant by this. Polygamy was pretty uh, common then. And some people say that what this was trying to do was, you know, say, hey, it's, got a, it's not polygamy. Uh, let me say this. I, I would say, and this is not the main point, I'm one of those people, and our denomination falls in this line, that what this text is saying is because it's the husband of one wife that the position of elder is the position of man. Now, we are not in attempting not to be misogynistic, patriarchal, male chauvinistic pigs. Okay? Because God disdains that. That is why not. (laughs) If you're here this morning and you're not sure you believe that or you've seen leadership in the church by man be destructive in a fashion or if really just as you look at the text, please, like you are certainly welcome in here and I think that's a worthy discussion and worthwhile. I think... You know, the, the text is actually saying that this is the position of men. But I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on that because I think what I want to do is, is this idea of the husband of one wife is saying, some people say it ex- excludes single people. I don't think that's true from the rest of the witness of the Bible. Some people say they can never be divorced, but Jesus himself allows this and Paul allows this for certain right reasons. Okay, so I think what Paul is doing And this is theirs. Paul is excluding all those guilty of married unfaithfulness. Or better, he is making a general and positive stipulation that a candidate for the pastorate or eldership must be faithful to his one wife. A man of unquestioned morality, one who is entirely true and faithful to his one and only wife. Okay? In other words, that there should be a man who has contracted a monogamous relationship and he's faithful to his marriage vows in the middle of it. And so I think what Paul is trying to say here is is that someone who desires to be an overseer should be someone who is in a marriage and being faithful in that marriage. Faithful to his vows. Externally showing a faithfulness to pursue and repent and live and honor. And again, I think that's actually interesting because polygamy was there and you actually have to believe that there were people who were coming into the church who had polygamous situations, right? And that may be excluded them from this. But, but there is this uh, idea that there should be a faithfulness to the wife that he serves. Again, you can see that. The interesting thing is, and there's a context to this, these churches probably in uh, Ephesus were probably all house churches, which means a lot of the life of the church was taking place in and around their homes. Which would mean what? You could, you could see them, right? You saw their life. Their life was on display. You were probably in their home a lot. You were probably around them a lot. You were around his wife in the home and the way they reacted to one another and dealt with one another. And that's kind of one of those things that suburban churches... It's hard. We just all go our separate ways within a 15 to 27 mile radius of wherever we're meeting on Sundays. and right, You have to work to get involved and see the lives of pastors. Okay. Uh, this next deal. Um, I'm going to look and I'm trying to, I'll look at you and say that the, the three next words actually tend to go together. In verse 2, sober-minded, self-controlled, and respectable. 
And this is this concept of kind of a self-mastery. Uh, a self-controlledness about the person. And um, again, I, I will say, just personally, that this is probably on this list where I feel like most I am ushered to the door and need to exit the ministry. Now, I don't, I don't say that uh, to get you to pity. I think on this list, every elder, every person who aspires, every minister in this, there is some place on this list where they fall down and, you know, it makes them question. But what Paul is trying to do here is say that what there is is, is these three words, and I've quoted this guy by the name of Scott Lindsay, speak of moderation and evenness in one's emotions. Someone who is not given to extreme behavior or unpredictable mood swings, sudden fits of anger or sharp words. Someone who does not fly off the handle, who keeps his head even and especially in difficult tense circumstances. Right? A lot of people try and justify their failure to control their emotions by blaming it on their circumstances. Uh, an elder needs to have an exceptional control in this area to keep his head when all around him are losing theirs. This idea that um, that in the midst of... Uh, gosh, when does this come in handy? Huh? Dis- disputes in the church. When else? Come on, disputes in the church. Oh, the church doesn't dispute anything. Come on. Disputes? What else? <laughs> Arguments with your wife. When overseers and their wives go at it. When you're counseling a couple. What else? Oof. Persecution, inside or outside? Okay, yeah, I mean, when the church takes shots from outside, mm-hmm. elders ought to be calm and self-controlled. And when else? Along those lines, um, I saw, uh, I was in Capernaum in Israel just a few months ago, and one of the early house churches was not 75 meters from a synagogue. And Capernaum at the time of Christ was like a few hundred people living there. Everybody knew each other. Mm. And then now you've got these weirdos that are like, they've got some notion that this Nazarene was executed or come back from the dead. And better, better watch out for these days. Sure. And meanwhile, there's the town synagogue which is the cultural center, which is the place of power and influence, where the plausibility structure is the thing that reigns, okay? In, in the face of the rest of the world saying, you're nuts. Okay, when else? When someone criticizes your ministry, Yeah, when the voices from the people within who you have attempted to love and lay down your life for and serve criticize you. 
Come on, let's have fun for a second. Well, the PCA, we are, we, are, uh, we are white educated. I'm not mad at white educated. We are affluent educated as a denomination as a whole. But also as a whole, we, are, we love our preachers. And the internet has made preaching. How many good preachers are there in our denomination? Four. I don't know any of them. Darwin's decent. What I mean by that is that's not a shot at Darwin or Brian or anybody on staff, but like the internet has made this like you can listen to the greatest preaching all the time ever. And then people start to do this. Well, I mean, I wish. Right? And what the dude is supposed to be in the midst of that is sober and self-controlled and gentle and it is a externally large thing, right? Okay. Yeah. They're supposed to keep their head in the midst of fires burning around. And, and it's funny, like, on the Myers-Briggs, I am an F more than I'm a T. I'm a feeler. I'm in a motor, right? Okay, but they're, so, they're supposed to have this thing of self-control. Uh, what else? They're supposed to be hospitable. Okay, in, why is this a deal? Again, if there are churches that were kind of around people's houses, in the time of Jesus and in the New Testament times, uh, Holiday Inn didn't exist, uh, Hilton didn't exist, Marriott didn't exist, there weren't hotels at every rest stop and exit along with Solman's Barbecue and the greatest travel plaza that you could get everything. And the inns at times were sketchy along the road. So if you were a, Christ, right, if you were a Christian traveling, like a lot of teachers, itinerant teachers were in the day, where did they stay? They would oftentimes stay at, at the overseer's home, right? That you were supposed to be someone who was willing to open up your home to kind of Christians who were in need of a place to stay. That was kind of what Paul was getting at at this there. That's that cultural context. But, okay, what's the principle? What's the principle for what overseers are supposed to be like? Huh? Okay, giving themselves away. What does hospitality look like in our culture? Welcoming. Who are the people? Who are the people in our culture who need welcoming? Fringe. And I would look at you and say you're all fringe. There's not such thing as a non-fringe person. But I know what you're saying. I actually want us to believe that. You're fringe in a million different ways. We're all fringe people at some level. But the fringe, yeah. There ought to be this thing that, our, that elders, overseers, bishops, their homes are open, that people are in. Um, uh, that, that their kind of lives are open. To who? Seniors and singles and fringe and all, but others. Now, where does that get hard? Where does that get hard in, in, in our world? 
<laughs> Where, come on, come on, Catherine, what do you mean? This is, uh, this is I appreciate Catherine's answer. She has common sense off the... There's that, that, that like bullet comment that was just like, heat-seeking missile. Okay, what, put some flesh on that. Where does that get hard? Where, where are a lot... Where, Darwin's... How old is Darwin? Uh, he's a little older than us. A little older than me. So his kids are all raised. Where, where does that get difficult for some pastors? Homework and where that intersects with daily life, right? Yeah, okay. So, yes. Um, they got to be welcoming. They got to be open to people's needs, and there are needs. Yeah, a lot of needs. Um, okay, I'm gonna move us on. Now you will. We'll t- you want to talk about this more? Let's do it. They have to be able to teach. Um, so, I, I don't think any of us in our culture have any beef with that. Right, but there is this sense in which what you recognize is, hold on, I missed my page. Uh, certainly, Paul has regards in this epistle, right, about false teaching. So, right, and so throughout this book, there are these guards against these false teachers. Look like this: they they get involved in these arguments, and they they get involved in decisive quarrels about the laws and about. Minutia and about things that are not central. And he's saying, certainly, right, that what elders have to be able to do uh, is that they have to be able to guard the deposit of the biblical message and teach it and communicate it. And communicate it in a fashion that is both understandable to people and applicable to people. Okay. Um, it's interesting. This is almost the one non-character trait in the list. I mean, it's not that it's not a character, but this is almost, if you look at it, this is strangely almost that one like professional trait that we, that we see. Right? Yeah. Core competency. Military man, right? Yeah, this is... Okay, he's got to be able to teach. Um... Okay, moving on. Because I, yeah, I'm just going to do it. Uh, verse 3. Not a drunkard. Can't be a drunkard. Um, 
Okay, can't be given to excesses in, in his consumption of alcohol, right? Uh, what, is, what is drunkenness evidence of? A lack of what? Lack of self-control. Yeah. Sure. Instability. A lack of control. Uh, th- there's some consistency as he puts these things together, isn't there? Okay, what is... What is what does alcohol do when taken out of moderation? What does it impair? Judgment. Your judgment. It takes the lid off the id. <laughs> so if you go back to Daniel, the book of Daniel, and you see uh, the feast that's going on, and I can't remember what chapter it's in, but everybody is uh, drinking a lot of wine, and then the folks in authority start making bad judgment decisions about what they're going to do with religion and government. Okay, drunkenness impairs your judgment. What is God's desire for the church? That she be cared for with wisdom. Um, Certainly there is this obvious sense, right, that you don't want to be under the influence while on duty. Okay. Okay. But that this, that this condition, this kind of givenness to drunkenness is this outward evidence of a lack of self-control and someone whose judgment is impaired. And, okay, it's, the Bible does not demand abstinence from alcohol. Right? I don't want to go down that road too long. It's, all things are good. They're all part of the created order. If they're taken with thankfulness and wisdom. They're fine. Now, look. If you, if you as an elder or an elder desires abstinence and chooses that, that's a fine path. The text doesn't demand it. Uh, but he ought not be given to excess in it. Okay, how about um, not violent, we're going to put these two together. Not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome. Um, it's interesting, this has both a negative and a positive, Right? Uh, okay, what were the false teachers? You've heard uh, us talk about this. What, what were the false teachers doing? Arguing and encouraging people to argue and encouraging people to get divisive and encouraging division. And Okay, so not violent but gentle. Either with the tongue or the hand, okay? And this language of actually that they have to be um, not violent but gentle and not quarrelsome, the sense of this phrasing is actually a sense of yieldingness, if that's a word. That they actually are supposed to receive and yield in the midst of argumentation and harshness and volatility, right? They're supposed to receive it and yield in the midst of it. Um, Okay. And we, we did that a little bit. So not only are they supposed to be um, not violent, so there's the negative, but I love this. There is supposed to be a gentleness about them. Think about Jesus in the face of his persecution by his own people, right? That in the middle of it, Jesus is the one who stands overlooking Jerusalem and doesn't just take it with a stony face, Right? or a self-protective Teflon coat upon his heart. 
but receives in the midst of difficulty, hardship, and then weeps for the city and the people whom he loves. Okay, not just a lack of violence, but a real gentleness and a softness about him. Uh, Okay, not a lover of money. Um, And I I wrote this on your sheet. I I actually appreciate this. This doesn't mean that elders ought to be poor. Uh, It's not a statement about how much elders should own or earn. It's about how much their hearts are owned by the money. Okay? I love his questions. Yes. Uh, I mean, yes, I think I do. I do. I'm not, I'm not being facetious. Yeah. Um, help me with your question. No, 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 no. I, I, come on. I, I mean, I think, yeah, I've known people who can actually drink temperately. Do, um, is it that, that... So I don't want to decrease the standard. So, right... Drunkenness is sin. And the language of given to drunkenness. So, but I'm not like giving elders a pass like, hey, once a year they have the right to go tie one on. That, that's not what I mean at all, right? Like, it's the third Thursday of January. It's elders get drunk day. No, that's, that, I, don't, I don't mean that. But I'm trying to get the sense of what you're really... Because look, I, I, want the, I, want to rest, I like to wrestle with that. Elders... What elders really have to do? I'm with you. So if, if the text had said, hold on, if, go, if the text had said what? Mr. Martin, you look like you're about to. Okay. We're talking about this thing of sin as an internal reality, a condition. Hold on, we're about, this thing's about to like. Hold on. What, let's, let's, what does the text not say? Don't drink. I love this. I love, I love tension. I love awkwardness. I want to build it. I want to like... Because I think what the text is trying to do is say there is this standard 
that is out there that, that Paul is not willing to shy away from. That if this is your... That's a great point. That drink may not be my temptation, but something else on this list might be. And Right. I th- so I think what we're confirming is fight sin and flee from it. Okay. I, that was good. That was a good exchange. I like that. Not a lover of money. I appreciate you, Max. I do. I appreciate that. Not a lover of money. Um, this idea that, um, that right, covetousness, that not out for cash rewards. Now look, most of the people going into the ministry are not in it for the financial gain in our culture. Right? I mean, so look, this is not, do not hear me go, oh, I'm so, I'm so poor, I'm so... Okay, I'm an American. I live in Fort Worth. We are the wealthiest nation in the history of the world. If you make over $37,000, you're in the top 4% of wage earners in the history of humankind. Okay? So, don't hear me say... Okay, but there is this thing of like, uh, there, is, there, is, there is certain folks in our culture who are certainly in ministry to fleece people of their money and get rich. And that is condemned, clearly, and outright. But, this idea of a love of money has stuff behind it that is the heart of covetousness. Right? This is funny because he does drop this internal sense here. Um, that there is a, a covetousness of money or ambition, right? Not out for self-gain, but jealous for the flourishing of the church. Again, he's contrasting false teachers. Um, all right. Ah, let's move on, quick. Sorry. Uh, a decent manager of his family. Okay? Uh, he has to manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. And then he compares, right, for if someone doesn't know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? So he's using this language of the house. Okay, what are, what are elders supposed to do with their families? What are they supposed to do? They're supposed to manage their households, and their kids are actually supposed to be responsive to them. Right? And there is this external sense that what he does in his family is kind of what he'll do in the church. But with, with kids, with small kids, right, you can see, kind of do his kids respond. Now, I think that sets up a lot of things, right? So, our general principle. We can, I think we can all give the you know, the kid who just is off the charts hard from day one, never responsive. Okay, it's not just can they see him, but do you see them with a consistency attempting to do the things, right, 
that we ought to do in families. Love, protect, keep, hedge, command, call to repentance, discipline, in a consistent manner. Because as a general rule, right, that's what you see. Okay, now, what, what happens in our culture? I think one of the interesting things is, in the New Testament age, when, did, when were kids adults? 13. Right? 13, 14. That's when children in Jesus' age were kind of entering into adulthood. Marrying at 15 or 16. Out and working. Assuming responsibility. I think what's hard is, is this thing of like, how do you judge that? And we're not going to answer this now. How do you judge that when we are prolonging adulthood until 27? And now you've got an elder who's got a 17, 18-year-old kid who is deciding... Right? Have they failed as an elder? Well, if, yeah, if, if a 17 or 18 year old decides, hey, I'm going my own way. Right? That, yeah. If, and there's a question I'm going to let you hang with for a little bit. Um, Okay, what it does not mean. It doesn't mean that pastor's kids ought to be sinless. And, and every pastor says thank you as they hear. Every elder, every overseer says thank you. Look, the phrase, your children should know better to an elder, is pretty harmful. Not sinless children, but children who are obedient and obedient in faith and repentance as well. Okay? Mature in the faith. I'm moving on. I want to ask you a couple questions. Mature in the faith. Okay? He should not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. That text is actually meant to mean right, that he'll fall into the same condemnation that the devil fell into because the devil's sin is pride, right? Why should he not be a recent convert? Because oftentimes what's lacking in wisdom with someone who's immature is what they see is they see position and honor, not the call. Now, does this mean that the person has to be old physically? No, he has to have some miles on the odometer, spiritually speaking. So he doesn't get conceited, fall into condemnation. Right? Okay. It's not an issue of physical age. I've seen some young men in their late 20s and 30s who showed the qualities of this list admirably. And I've seen some folks who are in their 50s and 60s and 70s who don't have this. Who are on sessions. Right? This is not simply... Just bide your time and you should get the, the nod. Okay, lastly, I am, let's run. Right? They've got to be thought of well by outsiders so that they don't fall into disgrace and into the snare of the devil. It's interesting. The first one was this thing of above reproach had more the internal sense of the church internally should see their lives. And this one is actually more externally. What should people, what should people who aren't convinced of the Christian worldview message Right? 
who aren't followers of the gospel, who don't believe it, what should they think of overseers? What should they think? They ought to look around and go, those are good folk. I respect them. Yeah. Okay. I know that was terribly shallow in 40 minutes. Stop. Give me a so what for just a few seconds. Take a minute. Why are these important character traits? And I, I just want to put this out there. This, I, this idea of the benefit of specificity that Paul has placed here. That, that, that it's not just a fun-loving guy or he's been around long enough or he's really opinionated or he's super reformed or he's biblically smart or he's nice or he's funny or he can tell a good joke or he's just hung around the church long enough and no one else seems to be willing to do it. Let's just give it to Harry. Why are these traits good? Come on, give me a little feedback. It gives us parameters. Okay, it's admirable. What do these qualities do for the church? Bring people into the fold. They, they preserve it. They give you a picture of it. What do these qualities help do for the church? Yeah, it's wisdom stuff. Yes. Okay. It certainly helps you do that. I'm coming back to that. Yeah. Helps you identify who ought to be in the future. Sets an example for the congregation. It promotes... Okay, that language, that beautiful language that you guys, that we take as members of the church... That elders that have this as the characteristic traits of their life, these guys, they promote peace and purity and flourishing and protection and love for the church, for the bride whom Jesus loves. What is so beautiful about this list is this thing is the thing that God says, these qualities help protect you. And they help you flourish. Okay, um, there is this thing of high standards, right? Who can make it? In, the, in chapter 4, he's going to say, look, be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see. Paul is talking to Timothy as an elder. So that folks may see your progress. What is true about your elders? <laughs> that they're in, what are they in? They're in process like you. Right? Normal followers of Jesus who are in process, growing up in their faith and knowledge of the love of God for them and that transforming them. Okay, this last one that was really good. It's having a description of the real thing so that you can actually tell maybe if someone is not qualified. Because look, in our world, I, just, I, I fear this again for my own world. In our world, if someone desires to be a minister in America, oftentimes that's all the qualifications they need. We just think, 
I love you, Johnny. That's so wonderful. Go. And what this is actually helping us do is being able to look at Johnny and say, Johnny, I appreciate your desire. We're just not, we don't think we see it. Therefore, we love you and the church enough to say no. And what's, what's interesting, in our culture, sincerity is the number one virtue. Um, so you can tell if one is simply not qualified or a fake. And then lastly, man, how to pray for your elders. Now, this is true. This is a description of what every Christian should be, but this is, I want to send you out. I'm sorry, I really wanted more interaction, and I did not prepare well enough to give us more interaction, but I appreciate the interaction you did. Guys, in one sense, there is not an elder who lives completely up to this list. And so all of your elders need Jesus. I will tell you that as your elders read this list, they desire it. They want to be this. I will tell you, they are haunted by this list. Because in their heart of hearts before the Lord Jesus, who sees the thoughts and intentions of men, there is not one who lays his head on a pillow at night who doesn't in some way say, I am not qualified and I'm a fake. And are discouraged at times. Pray for your elders. Okay? Alright, let me pray. Father, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you've given uh, qualifications. Thank you that you actually do qualify men who have lives that look like this. Jesus Be gracious to your overseers. Please, please help our lives to look like this. Earnestly, we pray, God, grant us these qualities in growing measure. Help us to protect the church. Help us to love the church. Help us to look like Jesus more and more. Help the church to have patience and kindness. But help the church... To, to demand and love these things and call for these things and see these things and pray for these things. Thank you, Lord Paul, that you wrote uh, this stuff under the inspiration of the Spirit. We ask you to be kind and listen to our prayers in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks, y'all.